All right, so I want you to do me a favor. I know many of you have probably read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but I want you to act just for two minutes. Act like you've never read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? Act like you don't know anything about what I'm about to ask you. Two questions. Number one, do you like or do you enjoy being weak? Is that something that you would sign up for? So like if they were serving plates full of weakness tonight, would you have gotten in that line and said, fill me up? Probably not, right? Most of us do not like being weak. Uh, We do not like being called weak. We do not like being identified as weak. So another question is, um, do you like or enjoy having weakness exposed? Not just to yourself, but to someone else. Probably not, right? We want people to think that we are capable and strong, right? That, that's generally uh, in our nature. It's like we like to handle things. We like to be known as someone who can take care of business. We don't like weakness. We just don't. We certainly don't brag about it, all right? So uh, if truth be told, most of us would rather be recognized as strong, capable, uh, people that handle their business But what we're going to see tonight, especially tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, is that Paul, he's going to show himself as different. Different than these false teachers uh, who are deceiving the church. And one area where we're going to see him as different is that Paul is going to boast in his weaknesses. He's already done this in these letters, but he's really going to highlight that tonight in this passage of Scripture. Uh, Tonight what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul talk about a vision. We're going to see him talk about a thorn in his flesh. And we're going to hear him share his concern for the church. So that's what we're going to see. I broke this down into two passages. So let's look at it. The first passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. So let's look at it together. He says, I must go on boasting. If you'll remember back in chapter 11, he said, put up with me in a little foolishness and let me boast like these false teachers are boasting. So he says again right here in chapter 12, verse 1, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses." Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So again, Paul starts his conversation much like he started his conversation in chapter 11. He said, hey, let me boast a little bit. Even though I know boasting gains nothing, I'm going to boast a little bit, kind of like the false teachers have been boasting. So again, if you'll remember, I told you last week, Paul's using sarcasm with his children, okay? So I believe Paul was not simply looking to make much of himself. He wasn't trying to look better than someone else. I believe what he was doing in this boasting was he was trying to expose the false teachers and he was trying to point the church back to Christ. That was his intent. That was his purpose in this boasting. And so Paul shared about a man in Christ who was given two things, visions and revelations of glory. So that's, how, that's what he starts with. He says, I know a man who was in Christ and was shown great visions and great revelations. So let's remember the Judaizers, right, and the false teachers. They always boasted in their letters of recommendation. They boasted in their, their education. They boasted in all of themselves. That's what they did. They boasted in what they accomplished and what they had done. Um, they also, if you didn't know this, they also had a custom of speaking about themselves in third person. So what they would do when they wanted to talk about themselves, they would say, well, I know a man, and they would be doing this. Right? I know a man who can or who did or who said or who has and they're constantly talking about themselves. So Paul's playing along with that game, okay? He's playing that role because look, if these false teachers have the church's attention by doing this, Paul says, okay, I can do that too. But notice the difference, right? Notice the difference. Uh, Paul says, let me tell you what the Lord did. Right? The Lord is the one who gave the visions. The Lord is the one who gave the revelations. The man didn't do anything. It was all the Lord. God did that for the man. And so obviously Paul was talking about himself. And if you notice, he says this happened 14 years ago. And so he's talking very much about the experiences he had when Christ, right? made a difference in his life on the road to Damascus. And so we see it's been 14 years. Paul hasn't said a word about it, but he says something about it now. And it was God, like I said, it was God who gave him these visions, gave, these, gave him these revelations, and he even said they're inexpressible things. In other words, I can't even really tell you. I can't even really tell you what I saw and what I heard. But what we see is we see throughout his letters, not just 1 Corinthians, not just 2 Corinthians, when you look at the letters of Paul and even when you look at the book of Acts, how many times did the Lord give him a vision? 
How many times did the Lord reveal to him where he wanted him to go? What he wanted him to say? Where he wanted him to be? The, the Lord was working in Paul's life in this way. And so, if anything, right, if anything Paul could boast in that these false teachers could not boast in, it would be visions and revelations. But Paul says, I'm not going to do that. Paul says, I'm not going to do that. He says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. And that's what he did. Paul boasted in his weaknesses. He could have went on and shared about these visions and these revelations. Uh, He could have boasted more and more, right? But he didn't, right? In other words, he said, I'm going to boast in what really matters, and it's my weaknesses. And he says, in my weakness, right, what did God give him? God gave him a thorn. Now, there's been much debate about this thorn, and guess what? I'm not going there. Because anybody tells you, well, his thorn was this, it was his eyesight, or it was this. Look, that's just guessing. That, because it doesn't say in the Scripture, it doesn't say what the actual thorn was. But God gave him a thorn. And what we see from Paul's own words is that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. So we can focus on the thorn and say, what was it? And if we do that, we miss the point of the thorn. The point of the thorn was to keep him from being conceited, right? Another word is prideful. Paul could have taken pride in himself. Oh, the Lord gave me visions The Lord gave me revelation. He could have went on and on about these visions and revelations, but he stopped abruptly and said, no, let me tell you about my weaknesses. Let me tell you about my weaknesses. Let me tell you what God did. God gave me a thorn in my flesh. Um, Paul tells the church very clearly that the reason he had this thorn was to keep him from becoming conceited. Uh, I love this. Dr. Warren Wearsby, I'm just going to read this to you. It's the best way to do it. Um, We could easily get trapped in the conversations about the thorn and miss the whole purpose of the thorn, which is humility. Dr. Warren Wearsby sums it up very well. Listen to what he says. He says, sometimes we suffer thorns because we are foolish and disobedient to the Lord. Our own rebellion may afflict us, or it could be, that the Lord sees fit to chasten us in His love with a thorn. Suffering, however, can also be a tool God uses for building our godly character. Paul's thorn was given to him to keep him from sinning. Had Paul's heart been filled with pride for 14 years, his life would have been filled with failure Instead of success. In this instance, God permitted Satan to afflict Paul just as he permitted Satan to afflict Job. I love what Dr. Wearsby says. Dr. Wearsby says, hey, God did this to keep Paul from sinning. He did this just like he did to Job. He did it with purpose. And it was to build godly character. That's what he was doing in Paul. Dr. Wearsby goes on to say this. Listen to this. Satan cannot work against a believer without permission from God. 
Think about that for just a second. We go, oh, well, Satan's getting the best of me today. Well, if he is, it's because God allowed it. Satan can't do anything to you as a child of God unless he gets permission from God. And if he gets permission from God, if he's allowed to do something like that to you, then you can bet God's going to do something good with it. Because that's God's purpose, right? His good purposes, His good works in you and through you. He goes on, so this is what Dr. Wearsby says, Satan cannot work against a believer without the permission of God. Satan was permitted in this case to buffet Paul. Buffet means to beat against his flesh. So that's why Paul said, a thorn in my flesh. Now, most theologians will agree. It was a some sort of physical ailment. Most theologians agree with that. Now again, they got differences of opinions about what that fleshly ailment might be. But again, it's because God was keeping him humble. God was keeping him from being conceited or becoming conceited, which means God was keeping him from sinfulness. So, in Paul's weakness, right? Paul said, hey, God, can you remove this thorn? Three times. He said, God, can you remove this thorn? Can you remove this thorn? Can you remove this thorn? What did God say? Nope. Nope. Not going to remove the thorn. But what we see is that in Paul's weakness, God gave him sufficient. That is a huge word. God gave him sufficient grace and power. So even in the midst of his weaknesses, he lists them out. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties, God gave him what was needed. He gave him sufficient grace and sufficient power. I wrote these words down. Jesus is enough. Right? Jesus is enough. Paul, you got what you need. You got what you need to make it through this. I'm not going to remove the thorn because you've got my grace. You've got my strength and it's in Jesus. Uh, I'm going to tell you, when we think about weakness, right? When we think about weakness, uh, we think about failure. That Those two things just come up. When we think about weakness, we think about failure. I, I love Paul David Tripp. You've heard me quote him many times. I put this on your handout because this is so powerful. Paul David Tripp in his New Morning Mercies devotional, he says two things, and I want you to see both of these. Number one, look at what he says. He says, God chooses for you to be weak to protect you from you. Wow. I mean, think about that for a second. God chooses for you to be weak to protect you from you and to cause you to value the strength that only He can give. That's amazing to me, right? God lets me experience weakness in my life because He knows, right? If I don't experience weakness, if all I experience is strength and success all the time, guess what I'm going to get full of? Pride. Pride. Conceit, right? I'm going to get full of me is what's going to happen. And so God uses weakness in my life to protect me from myself. To, to protect me so that I will value His strength and His strength only comes through Jesus Christ. That's it. 
It only comes through Jesus Christ. And I love this. Look at what else he says. He says these weaknesses, these weaknesses, that's plural, are tools of his zealous and amazing grace. Have you ever thought about the weaknesses you have as the amazing grace of God? Right? The zealous and amazing grace of God? That, that blew me away when I read that. These weaknesses are tools of his zealous and amazing grace. And here it is. This is so huge. So your weaknesses are not the big danger that you should fear. What you should really feel are your delusions of strength. We're so scared to be weak. We're so scared to admit being weak. We're so scared that someone else is going to see us as weak. We fear weakness. And Paul David Tripp says, you got it backwards. You are so wrong. You should never fear your weakness. What you should fear, and I love the word he uses, what you should fear are your delusions of strength. Because here's the thing. Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God, there ain't a strong person in this room. You can bench press whatever you want. You can brag about all the success you have at work, in the home, bank account, whatever. But I'm just telling you the truth. Apart from God, there ain't nobody in this room strong. There ain't nobody in this world strong apart from God because God is strength. God is strength. And and that's what's wrong with our world is that we're so afraid of what other people think of us. We're so afraid that other people, when they see us weak, when they see us frail, that that we're, we're done, we're over. Paul says, when I am weak, he is strong. When I admit my weakness, when I don't cower away from it and run from it in fear, Christ's strength rests on me. His sufficient grace, His sufficient power is magnified in weakness. So why would we fear it? Why why would we fear weakness? I love what Paul David Tripp says. He says, what you really should fear, Jeff, is your delusion of strength. Your delusion of strength. There's no strength apart from God. There's no strength apart. So how dare me think, right, that I'm this strong, capable guy. If I'm not in Christ, that's a delusion. And I can fool you, and I might even fool myself, but I can't fool you all the time, and I certainly won't fool myself all the time. My weakness is going to be exposed eventually. It's how I see it. It's how I embrace it that makes the difference. And that's what Paul's doing. So Paul says, I could boast about these visions. I could boast about these revelations. They did happen. I would be speaking truth. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to boast in my weakness. Let me tell you what's happened. I've been insulted. What did he say? Look at it again. He said, I've been insulted, right? I've gone through difficulties. He just lists them out. Persecutions, hardships. And what does he say about them? I delight. You see that? Look at verse 10. I delight. It's like, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the hardship. Thank you, God, for the difficulties. Why? Because that means I can trust in you even more. That gives me more reason to lean into you, God. Paul's boasting in his weakness because he knows that it magnifies the strength 
of Jesus Christ. Oh, this is so good. So he goes a step further. He, he shares his vision, you know, his revelation. He shares his thorn. He talks about his weaknesses. And now he's going to switch gears. He's going to switch gears and he's going to say, Church, I love you. I love you and I am so concerned for you. Watch his language. Beginning in verse 11. He says, I have made a fool of myself. And, and he's talking about the boasting. He's talking about the sarcasm. He's talking about what he's had to do to get their attention. He says, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not the least inferior to the super apostles. He's talking about the false teachers. Even though I am nothing, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How are you inferior to other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. So he's reverting back to sarcasm. He's not really asking for forgiveness because he hasn't really done this. He's being sarcastic. He says, how are you inferior to other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. He says, now I am ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will be very gladly, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If you love more, Will you love me? If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. In other words, you've been listening to me and you've been putting up with me just like you did those foolish people, those false teachers. So yeah, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? Talking about Titus, talking about these men who came, took up the offering for the church at Jerusalem. That wasn't for Paul. He said, did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same Spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I might not find you as I want you to be. And you you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be, look at what he lists. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm just going to ask you, are those fruits of the Spirit? No. Those are fruits of the flesh, the selfish nature. But Paul says, I'm afraid when I come to you, that's the fruit I'm going to find. He says in verse 21, I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you. 
and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. So, for the longest time, and in many of these verses, Paul has been addressing the false teachers, and he's been addressing them pretty much directly. But now he switches his tone, and he's really addressing the church. And so here it is. First of all, Paul had a deep concern for the church and for the truth. Paul loved the church and his concern was for the church. And Paul loved God's word, the truth, and that's where his concern was. He wanted the church to know who she was, who she was, and why she was. He was concerned for the church and the truth. And the church undoubtedly felt as though Paul's work was making them inferior to other churches. He addressed that. That's another deception by the hands of the false teachers. They basically said, well, if Paul loved you as much as that church or that church, he would have come to you when he said, you see what they did? He, they were making it look like Paul thought they were inferior church. Paul says, no, that's not the case. You're, n- you're not an inferior church just as I am not inferior to these super apostles. Uh, and so he, he again, he, he uses some sarcastic language uh, pleading for forgiveness about being burdensome, but then he comes back and says, wait a minute, I was never a burden to you. Even the men I sent to you were not a burden to you. Did they exploit you? Did I exploit you? In other words, did we take any financial gain from you to better ourselves? Paul said no. As a matter of fact, Paul did not accept their financial support because he was their spiritual father. Did you hear what he said? He said, parents take care of their children, not the other way around. That's what he said. He said, why would I accept from you? I'm your spiritual father. If anything, I will give you all that I possess. I'll even expend myself on your behalf. Paul loved this church. His mindset was one that that he saw the one who should be giving to them, right? I should be giving to you, not you giving to me. And he had not accepted anything from them all this time. So why would he do that now? Why would he all of a sudden say, oh, I'm coming, and by the way, take up an offering for me? He, he hadn't done this all, the whole time. And he, he tells him again, no, I will not be a burden to you. What was Paul concerned with more than anything? I'll tell you. More than anything, Paul was concerned about their spiritual growth. That's what he wanted. He, he knew that there were believers in this church. He knew that there, there were those in this church who truly converted, right? Truly converted to Christianity. They were believers in Jesus Christ. He was concerned about their spiritual growth. Undoubtedly, these false teachers had told the church that Paul was going to drain them financially, that he was going to be a burden. And what these false teachers were doing was they were focusing on the fleshly things, right? Here's what you can do. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. They were not concerned or focused on the heavenly things, the spiritual things. But Paul was. Paul wanted spiritual growth for this church. Uh, Paul was more concerned, right, that when he visited them, He said, I'm coming a third time. 
But when I come, he said, I'm afraid that the church is going to bear fleshly fruit rather than spiritual fruit. And like I said, Paul listed that fleshly fruit out, right? He said, based on what I'm hearing and what I'm reading from you, this is what I'm going to find. Discord, selfish ambition, fits of rage, slander, gossip. I mean, he went through the list, didn't he? I'm going to tell you, we don't want to be recognized for any of that. We don't want to be known for arrogance. We don't want to be known for fits of rage. We don't want to be known for discord, right? Division. It's, it's the opposite. We talked about that this morning. What do we want to be known for? Unity, right? Oneness, unselfishness, generosity. We want to be known for our testimony, right? This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. We serve the risen Lord. That's what we want to be known for. And listen, that's what Paul wanted this church to be known for. He wanted them to be known for that. Paul was more concerned, and I love this right there at the tail end. If you read too fast, you missed it. Paul was more concerned that when he visited the church, the church would demonstrate a lack of repentance of sin before God. Did you see that? He said, I'm afraid that God's going to humble me and God's going to grieve me in your presence because I'm going to find a church that lacks repentance. That's what Paul, that, that's what he was concerned about. This, he was concerned they were not spiritually growing. They were falling for the deception and the lies of the false teachers. And if so, they would not be practicing repentance. Paul says, I want you to practice repentance. He reminded them, right, that everything he did, everything his companions did, it was for the strengthening of the church. He wanted them to be strong in Jesus. He wanted them to be visible demonstrations of their community to who Jesus is and what Jesus had done for them. He wanted them to be vessels of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. And what he was afraid of was that they had listened to these false teachers and that they had fallen for these lies instead of the truth and that they were an unrepentant, selfish group. That's what he was afraid of. He said, I'm afraid God's going to humble me and I'm afraid I'm going to be grieving when I get there. this This is a bold but loving end of the letter. We've got one more chapter. But, but man, what a, powerful, what a powerful plea from Paul, right? What a powerful plea from Paul to say, you've got to know the truth. You've got to know who you are and who you belong to and why you are. These false teachers are lying. Ask them about the visions and the revelations the Lord gave them. They didn't have any. What, what are they boasting in? Oh, look at me. Look at all of my education. Look at all of my success. Look at what I've done. Paul says, I'm a weak man. Let me tell you about my weaknesses. Let me tell you about the thorn in my flesh. Right? And again, when he does that, who is he pointing them to the whole time? He keeps saying a little phrase, and if you you don't read it right, you'll miss it. He keeps saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Who does he want them to focus on? Christ, he, he's, not, 
He's not building himself up. He's saying, look at Christ. Look at Christ. Focus on Christ. And so if I could take, if I could take chapter 12 out, right, and say this was, this was Paul's letter to us today, right, to start Baptist Church 2023, I would come up with two statements. It's right there on the end of your handout. Number one, as God's church, we should strive to know, grow in, and demonstrate the truth of God's world, uh, the truth of God's word to the world in which we live. We should strive to know the truth, to grow in the truth, right? Iron sharpening iron, and then be visible demonstrations of the truth. If God says live this way, we ought to say, yes, Lord. We, we, we ought to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to live like this. I'm going to love like this. And it's not discord. <laughs> it's not fits of rage. It's not arrogance. right? It's not selfish ambition. It's the opposite. It's humility. It's embracing our weakness, right? Boasting in our weakness because we, we're desperate for the Lord. We know we can't do anything without Him. Paul knew that. Paul knew he could do nothing without the Lord. And so the more he boasted in his weakness, the more of God's grace, right? His sufficient grace, his sufficient strength he experienced and he was able to demonstrate. Not only that, as the church, right? We should embrace our weaknesses so that the grace and strength of the Lord will rest on us as we live together and serve together. If we want to be better servants in our community, we need to embrace our weaknesses and understand we don't always have it all together. And we don't always have what we need in and of ourselves. We never do. All that we are and all that we have, it is found in Christ. It is found in Christ alone. Nothing else and no one else. And if we'll do that, I'm telling you God's Word. Paul is a living example that when we embrace our weaknesses, his strength rests on us. I, I'm going to tell you, could anybody in here go through what Paul went through? Somebody asked me one night, do you think anybody else suffered like Paul did? Well, based on what I've read and how much I've read, Paul, other than Jesus, Paul went through it all. He went through a, a lot. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I could go through a, a quarter of what he went through without just breaking apart and falling apart. But here's the thing, in Christ I can in Christ, I can. In Christ, you can. If your heart and your mind and your spirit is lined up, right? If you're in step with the Spirit, He will give you sufficient grace and sufficient power. And that's what Paul says to them. Man, what a good, good chapter.